Our guest on this week's soundtracking is the extremely talented and likeable director Jan Demange. Having made his name with TV shows such as Dead Set and Top Boy, Jan moved into cinema with 71, a critically acclaimed drama about the troubles in Northern Ireland. 71 is scored by David Holmes, who was also instrumental in helping Jan pick the music for his second feature, White Boy Rick. Based on an incredible true story, White Boy Rick stars Richie Merritt as Richard Wersh Jr., who became the youngest FBI informant ever at the age of 14 in the 1980s. The film was scored by the wonderful Max Richter, who you'll be able to hear on this podcast very, very soon. And it's with one of Max's cues that we begin, entitled What's My Take? Jan, welcome to Soundtracking. It's really great to chat to you. Um, bizarrely, Happy I was talking about your previous film with some of your cast oh, really? just Who? a couple of weeks ago, um, Jack Loudon. Oh, we, I love Jack. Oh, my God. What, we what were, a dude. He won Best Actor he for did? his uh, role in a film called Carnage at the BAFTA Scotland Awards. Oh, brilliant. And, yeah, so we were, we were chatting about how brilliant 71 was. We'll get onto that in a second, but... Um, White Boy Rick, congratulations. I literally just watched the film. Oh, nice one. I loved it. I oh, really yeah. did. There's so much about it that oh, um, I found fascinating and emotional. And I wanted to ask you, when it came to the story, what it was that connected with you and why you wanted to tell their story. You know what? They sent me an article a year prior to me coming on board, and I just didn't connect to it. I was yeah. like, I passed on the opportunity to get the option because I was like, yeah, it's a fascinating informant story, and they took a liberty with the kid. But I couldn't see a way into the movie. I just thought it was an amazing article. Mm-hmm. So I got sent a script that they spec, and I was like, would you read it? And I was like, yeah, I'm familiar with the story. I'm interested to see what a writer's done with it. And there were five scenes, four, four or five scenes with the father, mm. and then the dad disappeared. And I was like, oh, my God. Straight away, I was like, the, a father and son take, a father and son story. Yeah. And the sister was in it for half a scene. I was like, okay. Then I was, I was like, it really resonates with me per, on a personal level. You know, being an outsider being tribeless, you know, being mixed race, born in Paris, raised in London, never had a sense of tribe or a sense of belonging. I understood that and that being that inside outsider. Mm. And I uh, and I went to predominantly West Indian school and I remember like, you know, 
you wouldn't end up with the white kids. I don't know with the black kids, but I wouldn't be. I'd be on the inside, but yeah, an outsider, so to yeah. speak. And and the f- relationship with my dad, you know, and being foster care and all that, that kind of resonated with his father, the father son story. So, but it wasn't a, a slam dunk. I went to visit him in prison and oh, asked wow. him questions about his family. And in like you know, twenty eight years he was in jail at that point. 27 years he'd never been asked about the family and I asked him about his sister and I asked him about his grandparents because there's a lot of stuff in the public domain about him and the FBI and the drug yeah. dealing but actually when you scratch the surface he wasn't Scarface he did hardly you know he fucking yeah. hardly done anything yeah. like, he was just a dumb kid and that's yeah. what I wanted to portray there was nothing smart he didn't outwit him he wasn't a kingpin uh, that's just people pinning you know like want to project that onto him he was dumb he was pretty simple and the and reasons he was doing it, though, were for his family. family. Yeah, they were for his family, and he had this incredible relationship with his dad, a dad that wanted to be a buddy rather than a dad, a dad that was like sort of narcissistic and just wanted a mate, a bit of a Del Boy character, Yeah, which I found fascinating. Like, the dad, the dad was also an inventor, something I couldn't... I couldn't <laughs> he'd patented ideas, and I'd, I went through the ideas that he patented, and they were just like absolutely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and you're like, this is hilarious. Yeah. So meeting him gave me a sense of tone, you know, the, to, to avoid the outsider's gaze, gaze where you like look at poverty, pe- families that are poor, and give them that sense of earnestness yeah. when they're walking around the Dickensian drama. But actually, they're real, really fucking funny and warm <laughs> mm-hmm. and crazy. And it's like a kind of crazy, dysfunctional love. So basically, I fell in love with the idea of telling a story about this family. But then I was shackled with an informant story, a drug dealer story, the, the corrupt system. You yeah. know, I had to do all these strands. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a playground of, of um, opportunities when it comes to music of that era, but also with Detroit in terms, you know, where it's set, because that city is, is, has got a, an amazing history with music. It's insane. It's incredible how it's at the heart of it. Like I was like, I was so geeking out about it. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm that guy. Like, I know so many. I, I love music, and I've been always been obsessed with it, and it often it's how I find a way in, and that's yeah. what I did with this. I don't, I don't have encyclopedic knowledge of names. I sort of only have the brain space for that with film, really. But um, as soon as I started, I spoke to David Holmes, actually, who did 71. And I, I told him about the era. And even though he wasn't going to compose, he's a good mate. And he pulled a playlist for me. And I just went nuts. You wow. know? And a good few records. I mean, he's an incredible DJ. Yeah. People forget that. And I, There's someone who's encyclopedic about Oh, my music. God, that geezer's yeah, got some unbelievable. vinyl. He's got some vinyl. It's insane. He was sending me records after record after record. And it just helped me as I was developing it. And I knew some records I wanted to use. Did you use some in the film that he originally yeah, did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, loads, loads. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's probably criminal. He's not credited. <laughs> Shh, we won't tell Shh, anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely over drink. <laughs>
I found like there was moments as well where you know I was seven, uh, 84 isn't it it's the kind of first mm -hmm. year that you can and I was 10 so you know it's music The mu uh, you know I remember tunes from that like Hear It For The Boy Denise Williams yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff and real kind of nostalgic but what's really clever is although you're kind of dropping into that era the film's timeless I think because of those themes, because of, you know, about family and about this kid kind of being yeah. slightly sent down the wrong track, you know, not through anyone's fault, but his own. And it's a really clever thing to be able to do that, I think. Was that intentional? Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. It's funny, I've done two period films on The Bounce now. and I'm, I Go through the decades, yeah, 70s, 80s, yeah. you've got 90s next. <laughs> I've got to do the 90s, I'm a 90s child. Oh, yeah, I've got the, I've got the 90s, like... <laughs> yeah, got, there's already a film called Midnight now. I was like, fuck, that's, that surely should have been my title at some point. But like, the um, yeah, I don't know how it happened because I, I don't love period films, but I've ended up doing two on the bounce. But I've, always, I've approached them both like they're contemporary pieces. I mean, the themes in '71 I was talking about now, the here and now. We could talk. I could talk, we could take any number of conflicts that are going on now, and it could have easily yeah. I'd have been discussing those. And um. With White Boy Rick, it just felt so pertinent to what was going on right now, what's, what's happening, just yeah. not just in America, in, within the specificity of it. I saw universality and you can transcend it. It's like specifics, actually. But yeah, I, I'm glad you feel that way. That was definitely something I was hoping. You worked with Max Richter on the score on yeah. this. How did that come about? Why was he the right man for the job? Well, I mean, I love Max Richter. And I wanted someone that had a classical background, but also had shown an ability to know that be sparse and to be and to travel beyond be within you know who, who, who could use synths and be more classical just had a had a wide vocabulary mm. but a, a something very sort of structured and formal yeah and um you know i approached him and and showed him some shown him the, some scenes in an early cut of the film and he responded and it became a dialogue you know um, it was great. I was very fortunate that he engaged. from it you know from the way he he'd try and he'd score a scene also informed my attitude or the rhythm to the to the cut of the scene itself and I might have adjusted a couple of things oh wow I've done that like on this film it's the first because of the way we developed and everything and the way the green light process was a bit nutty we had to lost a lot of money we had to change this film but I didn't get the composer on board in prep like on 71 and I did the same on Top Boy well not quite the same but I had the composer on way before shooting, mm -hmm. and like with David Holmes, for instance, he gave me 10 music cues that I was shooting with. So in the scenes where there's a, ch a chase, not the visceral fast one, but when things were slowing down in yeah. the last half, I was listening to music as I'm directing those scenes. They're non-dialogue scenes. So I'm getting a metronome and a tempo, mm -hmm. and I end up using that track that no one else could hear, but I'm using that track in the cut in the end. Yeah. And I love, I love directing and listening to music sometimes, during the scenes and it really oh, helps wow. me find a way in so usually like to work with the composer much earlier on this time it was more traditional in that the composer came on towards the end mm. but then when you hear something you know music can do that thing right it's the highest art form 
it could do that thing that you can't reduce down to words and it just tells you actually I should be going in this direction. piece that complements the scene where Matthew's character is sat in the car contemplating you know his revenge kind of thing mm -hmm. like you say it's so it's really quiet but it's really powerful and an amazing piece there yeah. just really yeah really it's one of my favorite moments of the music where the music and he really did you know that's what I mean you can do it sparse but somehow it feels it says it all and how that complements as well the emotion we're seeing mm -hmm. you know Matthew's character go through as well it's like you're seeing it in like you say about it saying much more than words can or, or script yeah. can it's like you're seeing inside the emotion he's feeling yeah yeah absolutely I mean when good that's that's you know that Max really brought that external it's an example where a scene I thought was working and then you put the score on it and you're like oh my god mm. there's so much more there now than I could see before yeah Just complimenting on the cast as well. I mean, I mean, all, all of them. Belle as well. Jesus. Great, oh my she? God. Yeah, that fun. scene where they rescue her. I mean, I was like stood up, kind of like. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's amazing. And then there's one scene where she's, where they take the father and son away, senior and junior away, and she stood there, and you just hold on her. So many people would have cut away by that point. Do you know what I mean? But you've yeah. not. You've. What was the? Can you talk to me a little bit about that in a slightly geeky question? Sorry. I mean, I. You know, I guess to a certain extent, it's very simple. If she's given you that, why aren't you taking it? <laughs> you know, um, I saw her character as such an important her relationship with the brother, such an important through line in the film. Mm. Even though she's hardly in it, and they're very small economical moments. She's almost the way I saw it. She was the one that sees everything so clearly. 
where Rick still believes in what his father spouts, these mm-hmm. Del Boy-esque philosophies yeah. of how this time next year we'll be millionaires and the American dream will work. Yeah. And it almost felt like that's why she takes the opiates, that's why she's on the drugs. And when you linger on her, you can tell she's the most heartbroken and destroyed by it because she can see it all. Yeah. At least the other ones are ignorant to it to a certain extent. That's mm. how I felt about her. Yeah. And she gave me all that, so I'd stay on her. And it's like you project all that onto her as well. You know, she's just an incredible actress. So, yeah, that moment that you... And thanks for picking it up. It's nice that you notice, you know. She's quite an incredible actress. She's a Londoner. I didn't even know that when I saw Secret Diary of a Teenage Girl. Mm-hmm. Or Diary of a Teenage yeah. Girl, sorry. You know, I was like, oh, what about her for it? And they said, oh, she's from London. I was like, what? And she, like, lives in Kensal Rise or something. And I was yeah. like... <laughs> and um, Richie Merritt, no, is this his, is this genuinely the first thing he's done? Yeah. Yeah, he's never even been in a school play. What? So how did he get from not being in a school play to to even knowing about this and being Workshop. Oh, okay. So when I started looking for a Rick, our Rick, it became this big epic search and we did a two-pronged attack. We were searching amongst actors and I said, let's look at non-actors too because I've had quite a lot of success, well, varying degrees of success with that in the past, in 71, and when I did a show called Top Boy, mm-hmm. which I ultimately, you know, mostly street cast. Kano had never done it before. Mm. Not that you could call Kano street casting, but a lot of the kids in it had never done it before. 38 non-actors I had or something when I counted on the first series. And, you know, it brings, an all, it brings pardon me, a sense of authenticity. And sometimes when it goes right, you can get that sort of magic where they bring, they tell you what it should be mm. rather than your dramatist's eye on it. And I'm an outsider as it is. I got more. I had more of command of London than I would have for Detroit. But even then, I was like, you know, I, I need. I was, I was like, I, as a real outsider, I need something that anchors it in some truth because I'm already getting a bit Hollywood and Matthew. And so we read, we got all these actors to read it, and some of them were wonderful. And I won't be crassest to mention names, but some, a couple of them turned my head. But you could get a sense that they'd never really been around the African American community, and America's particularly segregated, and you kind of. To get that authenticity that, that, you know, you kind of go, it's in their DNA and they're not pretend, pretending. Yeah. And this kid, I, I, so I, I said, let's start like street cast. So I'm going off on one. Let's street cast too. And we went after this woman called Jennifer Vendetti who cast American Honey. Yeah. And she looked for the street cast and then Francine Mazur got the main cast. And uh, Jennifer, because America's so big, she sent a couple of scouts out to different states, like New, upper state New York, Buffalo, you know, Chicago, all over the place. And one of them went to Baltimore and she was pitching the, the headmaster, the principal, as they call him. And um, as he walked out, he goes, well, you can start with this kid. And Richie was waiting outside his office because he got shit in shit that day. <laughs> and he was like, what? And he was like, just, you know, just do this thing. And he did an improvisation where he's stealing someone's phone or something. And they sent it to me. And I was like, oh, this kid's interesting. So I met him again. I, I flew him out to Cleveland to meet me and we did some workshopping. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I want a test in with Matthew. And we did a test for an afternoon. Not a, not a screen test where yeah. you lie, just a workshop. Yeah. And we did four scenes. We shot the shit out of it and we just had fun with it. And it was really interesting what he did to Matthew in that he couldn't, the kid couldn't be in a Matthew McConaughey film. So actually it really made Matthew come right down. Mm-hmm. And they just had a, they looked good together. And it was, it was scary because he doesn't emote in a way that you'd expect or you'd want. At times you go, this is your moment. And he just doesn't do it. And I remember the lead kid in Top Boy would do that. He would just, he wouldn't do that 
thing that the dramatist expects, yeah. expects or wants. But actually, when you talk to him, he has more of an emotional truth and understanding of what was realer for the moment. Yeah. At times, it keeps you at a distance. But he's like, well, that's how... This is the armour I've had to put on. He wouldn't articulate it like this, but you understand this is the armour. This is how come I've survived. Because mm -hmm. if I behaved, if everything affected me the way you want me to, want to see me be affected by it, there's no way I'd have survived it. And when I talked to the real Rick, I realised it was like that. This, there's an armour. You know, it's like children being robbed of, of their childhoods, really. This kid never had a chance to be a kid. And he brought that to it, because the real Richie, without going into his life, like too much, but... For 15, he was when I met him and we started working together. That what he'd been through was insane. Yeah, a mother in rehab, abandoned four. Yeah, I mean, the level of pain he could access and, and real life situations he's been in was incredible. Wow, so he really brought something to it, and everybody got behind him and everybody loved him. And yeah, and and the real Rick used, would be on the phone with him every other day, oh, loved wow. it. If anything, it became, it was, became the main narrative of our journey was Richie. And seeing the kid transform and change and grow into it, and yeah. Belle and Matthew really connecting with him, and mm. it was incredible. Has the real Richie seen the film? No, you can't get. He's in prison. You can't. Can you? Can't. We can't. We're gonna. We, I think we're gonna do something where a lawyer, his lawyer, is gonna get a special permission to go in with a laptop. There's a possibility. Think of course. crossed. I mean, that's the thing at the end of the film is that. I, I mean, it was like it was so emotional hearing his voice, his real voice at the end of the film. Mm. It was kind of like. Wow. When he says, I cried, I yeah. cried. It's just yeah. like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, it's the bit that gets me, actually. Yeah, really, really powerful. Because that thing he has as well, he doesn't self-pity. He's so matter-of-fact about so many things. Mm. Like. I love the grandparents in his work. <laughs> when fun. she says, you called me Audrey last night, it's just, it's so brilliant, but it's so important, you know, within the film to have those moments where it is that thing where, you know, kind of, the older generation when you know whatever it is about but they always come up with the most brilliant things that just change and take a make yeah. you take a detour into yeah, you know yeah, and it's yeah. so brilliant the way that it kind of yeah. weaved into the film i mean i have to give that the, the writer steve clovis <laughs> is uncredited actually it came up with some of these moments of humanity where they're just they're full of quirks and idiosyncrasies <laughs> and they're not necessarily like you know married to the plot or drawing the story forward but they're, they're texture and they're giving you a sense of tone and, yeah and who these people are in yeah. very short form and very short punctuated moments. Yeah. It was important to have that. There's two um, moments in the film that, that where music is kind of within the narrative, so to speak, where there's uh, at the wedding when the band's playing and then at the roller disco as yeah. well. Well, I'm and a hip-hop 90s boy, right? <laughs> so, like, I was... And I love... Later in life, I got into, you know, all the records that were sampled and, and you kind of... You revisit them and you kind of like, uh, you know, I think it was uh, on on BBE, there was a there was a record, there was like a, what was that called? There's a, a mix that Kenny Dope did on Billy Breaking Even uh, that I got. I can't remember what it was called, but I remember it was like a, it was just a Souls classic. And, yeah. And I went back to it and it was like all these tracks that have been sampled famously and yeah. not so famously. And, you know, there was an opportunity to go back to the source and I knew I wanted Juicy. In it and yeah. it just fit.
you have to re-record it with some with a band that would do it for the wedding yeah. at the right tempo, tempo. So you can't look. It can't be seen to be ripping off the, or trying to pass itself off as the original. It's like weird. This weird grey area. Yeah. Where you know what I mean. Like it's if it's too much, like yeah, her, yeah, 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 if it's, yeah. the pitch has got to be a certain to be legally in the clear. Then it'll like, cost you five million yeah. pounds. Yeah. Thank yeah. You yeah. If you go that way, if you're up an octave, <laughs> you're fucked. Like so you got to get it. So they're back and forth recording it. Then once it's legally clears it. Then you get you get to perform it for your on with live playback, and you almost shoot it like a music video. Then yeah. you know, but is that it, and, fun to do? Yeah, I love all that. Like I'm geeked out about that. Like <laughs> with with the because the club scenes are always a, a stickler for me, where you don't feel like the sense of being in the space. Um, and I wanted to, so I found DJ as DJ Destruction did it for me. Who I, I picked some records and he scratched vinyl for me over the Skateland scenes. Yeah. So I'd send him cuts and he'd be sending me back some, some scratches over the... I mean, I might have overdone the scratching because I looked at it, Last time I looked at it, I went, ooh, that's a bit over the top. But at the time, I was, like, really into... You know, like you were saying, they were pioneers. Like, you can't overlook... There was pioneers of fashion, pioneers of music. Mm. I mean, the, the cultural impact that that period had in Detroit and New York yeah. is incredible and we're still feeling the rever reverberations of it now mm -hmm. and you know and I wanted to get that yeah. sense in the club of, of someone there's someone playing these records and experimenting and scratching and playing around in the, and I didn't want it to get all Dougie Fresh like but you know <laughs> yeah. it's, have it's own vibe Yeah. so yeah we spent a lot of time doing that and Funkadelics and uh, Edwin Starr but I love how you start with Johnny Cash yeah what was the decision well it that? was because we started in the gun show and it felt like it starts in this very all-american gun-loving kind of NRA-ish place white very <laughs> very white America yeah. mm -hmm. and then it goes somewhere else and I was like well let's just go with a white icon and even though actually a more rebellious one than some people would understand yeah. or, or, or they try and claim him and they don't quite understand how open he was. But like, I thought it was a great way in. I just thought it'd be fun to start in and give you the expectation of being in this particular world and they, that they belong to. And actually they don't. Yeah. You know? And it's a clever way in terms of both the visuals and the piece of music that you pick kind of reinstate that. Yeah. Really clever. Just a sort of a slight misdirection. <laughs> yeah. Early one morning while making the rounds Took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down Went right home and went to bed I stuck at loving 44 beneath my head Got up next morning and I grabbed that gun Took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run, but I run too slow They overtook me 
down in Waters, Mexico. Late in the hot joints, taking the pill. In walked the sheriff from Jericho Hill. He said, Willie Lee, your name is not Jack Brown. You're the dirty hoppachacha woman down. Yes, sir, my name is Willie Lee If you've got a warrant just to read it to me Shot her down because she made me sore I thought I was a daddy, but she had five more When I was arrested, I was dressed in black They put me on a train and they took me back I had no friends for to go my bail They slapped my dried-up carcass in that county jail Max Richter on this one, and we talked briefly about David Holmes in 71, but Brian Eno did the music for Top Boy, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, hello, Brian Eno. How did you get Brian Eno on? That's amazing. I mean, the Brian Eno <laughs> one is like, it's quite an embarrassing story. Um, Do you want to tell it? Oh, my God, it's really cringeworthy. <laughs> I don't think Brian's ever heard. I didn't, all right, I was, <laughs> I was, well, my editor, Chris Wyatt, I've been working with for 13 years. Uh, he did Dead Man's Shoes originally, and yeah. the singer, and used to work with Peter Greenaway, uh, older gentleman. He's my mentor. He's one of my best friends. Amazing. He's great with music. And I was shooting Top Boy, and I didn't have a composer on as I'm shooting. I'm getting sent these uh, these cuts. And I'm looking at him, and I'm going, I love that. What are you using there? Because like, I said I want to use something, the diegetic sound, the sound of the world of the film yeah. should be incredibly authentic and real to what they're listening to mm-hmm. and what's going on. And, and the sound, the storyteller of what we're—I wanted something ethereal and completely different. Yeah. Because I, I wanted something to happen in that juxtaposition where it didn't become this whole urban fetish thing, like we, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. whack some hip hop on yeah. there, and I wanted something that made you look a little differently. And the editor just sent me some cuts, and it was like a free cuts that I saw, and I was like, that I loved. I went, what is that music? Like that's incredible. And it's this guy called Brian Eno. I was like. He's amazing. Let's let's get him to do it. I didn't know who Brian Eno was. <laughs> I saw he was signed to Warp Records, so I said to the music super, let's, "I want to. I've listened to this thing that like this guy at Warp called Brian Eno, and I'm thinking it's some young. <laughs> yeah. So ridiculous, man. I'm thinking it's some like young. Like, it's the same with Richie not knowing who Marty McConaughey yeah, is. Come on. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, I thought he was like some young geezer in Bristol in his bedroom, nailing it. Yeah, nailing it. I was like, he's he's good, that kid. I've spotted it. <laughs> Yeah, and they said that he doesn't really do TV. And I was like, I'm in the shoots. I'm like, what the fuck? So I was like, look, I'm writing a letter. So I wrote this note to Brian. I bet he loved that. A dude was like, oh, yeah, Brian wants to meet you next week. I was like, all right, cool. And I, then I speak talking to Chris. I goes, Brian said he's going to meet. And Chris like, what? He's going to meet you? He's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, and then, it, then the penny dropped that we both realized I didn't quite clock who he was. Mm-hmm. He goes, you might want to Google him. And I was like, I couldn't finish his Wikipedia page. This is the night before I was meeting him. <laughs> And I was like, fucking hell. I mean, Ziggy Star. I was like, you know, I knew of everything he's done. Yeah. But I didn't know it was him. I didn't know any of it. And I was like, oh, right, the Apollo, that was him. I was like, oh, that, that's... I was like, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed. But you know what? If I'd have Googled him before... Yeah. When the geezer said, when the supervisor said he won't do TDE, I wouldn't have written to him. Yeah. But that kind of... What must have come across as arrogant to the guy was actually pure ignorance. I was like, what? Just let him to watch it. And he did. And he watched it. And he said, come meet me. And I met him. And I, he was just the most inspiring man. You know, you mm-hmm. sort of like, you leave a meeting, you go, 
I wish that geezer was my dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was like, he was just incredible, like a 360 degree artist, like the way he lives his life. Like he'll be, he's got a, he's got a painting on the go or a light installation in the room right next to his studio. So while something, so if he can't, if he's hitting a wall on that, he'll do, he'll move to that. Wow. And he's moving between the spaces. He's the most prolific person you've ever met. He could put out four albums tomorrow. He sat me in front of a hard drive, a computer, and went, go through any of this. You can have any of this. And it was just like reams and reams of like, he's, he makes a track every day. He's doing something every day. Wow. He's so prolific. It's incredible. I, I, you know, so I was like going through Brian Eno's private stash. Amazing. He loved the themes. He was just incredible. He won't score to picture, right? Yeah. You, can do, you can mess with the strand stems and shape mm -hmm. it afterwards. But I might say, look, I'm after something. He said, send me five adjectives. It would be like that. I'd be, what? Send me five adjectives. I thought, all right. And then he'll send you a track wow. <laughs> a day later. And you're like, it's incredible. It was like the most it's unique. All about the emotion. Yeah, it's the most unique experience I've ever had. But That's brilliant. It was one of the most rewarding uh, collaborations. Just because, you know, I'd never been around a real artist like that. And I kind of spent some, he's my first big composer. Well, you know, he's more than that. You know, he's yeah. an artist. For real. Yeah, like you say, and a yeah. political activist. I remember coming to, to meet him one day, and he was like sat in front of a laptop, and we're having uh, we're eating some food together because we both live in West London. And we like this sort of Moroccan takeaway on on the Golden Road, and we're eating fried fish or whatever it was, and and he's just like googling weapons. He goes, "Do you know? Do you know the the British uh, defence budget is blah 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 blah?" And I was like, "No, Brian, I didn't know that." And did you know that he goes into one right? And I was like, "Okay." Anyway, he never says, he leaves it at that. That night, I, want my, I get a phone call. Look on BBC Two now. He's there with Jeremy Paxson get, <laughs> going, did you know the British defence budget is like... Da, da, da. He, was he was like preparing to go on Newsnight. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> it. Like, in the middle of a session, just having a little Google bit. Of a uh, Moroccan takeaway. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> he's amazing. That's amazing. And then with, with, with David with 71, I guess, you know, apart from him being a, a, an amazing artist himself and, you know, kind of musical, I, I do think he's a bit of a musical genius, but also with the subject matter of, of that film and it being very, yeah. him having a real connection with it, it yeah. felt like a, a perfect I mean, his house got bombed and everything. Like, he's, like, got incredible stories. Yeah. He lived it. I mean, music was his way of escaping it. Yeah. You know, he was... Uh, he had a real, a, a, like an incredibly visceral connection to it all. Mm. Because of the deteriorating security situation in Belfast, your regiment is now being deployed there on an emergency basis. Any questions? I'm not going to Germany. You're going to Belfast. I take it you all know where Belfast is? Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom, here. You are not leaving this country.
And he still is actually. I just did something for HBO and I always go to him. I go, what do you think of this? And he sent me records for that, Big Maybell and all this. Like <laughs> It's like 50s Jim Crow America. And the best playlist I got from anyone on the planet was David Holmes. You give him a period, you give him a vibe, you can, within a day, he'll turn around a playlist for you. He's incredible like that. With 71, like you said, you alluded to, I mean, he lived in Belfast. He had people, he had family and friends directly affected by it. He had skin in the game. His family had skin in the game, so to speak. So he had a, he brought a passion to it and a barometer of truth. He was my Richie in a way. He was like, no, nah, that's no, people don't say that. That's bullshit. That's like, that's true. Not having that. Yeah. You know, he was on it. So he was like a collaborator. He was like one of the filmmakers. in the contemporary tracks that were picked in the film as well you know everything from like Lee Hazelwood to Aphex Twin and stuff like that yeah yeah Aphex no Aphex Twin was uh, Chris Wyatt the editor a lot of it's Chris Wyatt actually I have to say he's introduced me to Brian introduced me to you know he's the one that when I started working with I'd never listened to Nick Cave till I met Chris like Chris you know is a completely different man to me you know I was a, a typical London boy 90s hip-hop, my musical taste was more eclectic because my mother had uh, a big vinyl collection of jazz records because she's from, like, you know, 70s Paris or vibe. And then my brother was a bass player. So yeah, I'd sort of listen to... I'd hear Weather Report growing up and shit. But, like, there was a whole... There was so much I didn't know yeah. till I didn't really listen to Bowie, you know, in my house, till I met Dave, till I met Chris. And he opened up a whole new world to me. And, like, and he always does whenever we... He sends me cuts, he's always playing, there's always something strange. Sometimes it's a bit out of there, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and, but, you know, he, inv- he introduced me to Arvo Pert, what part when, when I did a Dead Set with Charlie Brooker, you know, you, you know, he's so... I have to credit Chris for that and his, his knowledge of music. I don't, it doesn't matter when you come to stuff, it's just, it's nice that the recommendations and the knowledge come from other people, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I say I'm embarrassed, I'm not that embarrassed, it's like, it's nice... It's just nice to keep discovering stuff, and you're well, kind of like, oh my it god, it's incredible. To me every time with a show, yeah, you know, every yeah, time yeah. I speak to someone, I learn something new about music that I didn't know about. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of it's it's, it's uh, never ending. Yeah, totally. Um, listen, I'm excited to see what's next as well. Thank you. Um, and congratulations once again, and thanks for your time. Cool. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank, Thank you very you much. Mate. Cheers.
soundtrack to 71, that's Gwelly Mernins by Aphex Twin, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jan Demange. My huge thanks to Jan for taking the time to talk to us. White Boy Rick and 71 are both available on home entertainment formats now. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and the link to Spotify playlists featuring the music we play in the order it appears. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, we have a real treat for you in the shape of Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis together. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company. Then. <laughs>